1208. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner once again. News a-poppin'. The Michael Flynn sentencing didn't go off, if you didn't hear Eric a few moments ago. Uh, apparently, the sentencing wasn't going to go as swimmingly as Flynn had hoped, so he's prepared to talk some more. At least that's the nub of it. We will be getting into that. We're going to push some things aside to talk about that a little later in the show. We start, though, with talking, looking back a bit to things that happened to Madison recently and looking forward to 2019. We do that now, live on the phone, joining us, Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald. Senator, good to talk with you again. Good, good to be with you. Good to be with you. Uh, let's start with, I guess, what is the newsiest part of what's going on. Liberal groups asked a federal judge Monday to throw out limits on early voting that the governor signed in that, that you folks in the legislature passed, as well as a voting ID provision. Those arguing this, uh, Senator, say the courts have already struck these down, that you repass something that didn't pass judicial muster. Are they right or wrong about that? Um, they're wrong. And I would I would offer the first example is, uh, and this is actually pretty odd, based on some of the attorneys that have been watching this closely, uh, that uh, for 18 months the um, the three judge panel in the Seventh Circuit in Chicago has not taken up this this case, and that is an extraordinary long time. For them to be uh, kind of putting this entire thing on hold, which is why in, in the November elections, um, actually, actually the stay that was put forth by Federal Judge Peterson was in place. So, uh, on, and that's just based on kind of the timing and the way it's been working its way through the courts. Uh, on the issue itself, I think what we did was try and respond to what uh, Judge Peterson said and come up with something that I would that I have quantified as kind of a, a middle ground to say that, you know, no, 45 days prior to an election, uh, you shouldn't have municipalities that have the, uh, the voter rolls open. And, and for a couple different reasons, um, one is that it's not fair to the rest of the state and those that vote maybe at a small town hall or in a very small municipality that, that is unable to, to man uh, kind of open voting uh, 45 days out. Uh, but then the, se the second thing would be just the idea that, uh, you know, 24-7 um, voting is much different than what anyone else would be used to who shows up at the polls on those days. So, so we think this 14 days prior to the election is kind of a middle ground, and we're hoping that uh, Judge Peterson sees it the same way, and then ultimately, uh, like I said, the Seventh Circuit in Chicago sees it that way as well. So with that and the photo ID requirement that they single out, your argument is that these are still an open matter before the courts? Oh, very much so. Yeah, I mean, we're still waiting for the Seventh Circuit to rule. So, I, I mean, you've got, you know, one Wisconsin now or those that are going to file suit. I mean, the first thing they would have to address is, yeah, the, the legislature did make a change. This is not identical to the bill that was passed last uh, biennium, and uh, we're hoping that the courts take that into account. Now, if you look at the Journal Sentinel's reporting on this, they, they claim the photo ID element really isn't any different. Yeah, I, no, we, we have, um, I, I think, 
you know, and I've been saying this for a couple of years now, uh, Photo ID is, uh, is wildly successful. Um, all of the pitfalls and criticisms and, and all of this hand-wringing that was going on that, oh, my gosh, this was going to prevent Wisconsinites from voting has, has been completely disposed with by reality, which is, you know, the numbers are way up. And, and it doesn't matter whether you're in the smallest rural town in Wisconsin or in, uh, in the city of Milwaukee or the city of Madison, uh, people are voting and they're showing up with the photo ID. And, and to, be, uh, to be honest with you, when you talk to clerks, uh, people are much more comfortable that, uh, you know, there is not going to be this kind of open door to fraud, uh, which, which has happened in Wisconsin in the past. Talking with Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, uh, I, I'll confess, Senator, I'm among those that thought Republicans could have handled the messaging of the extraordinary session better. You and others have blamed the media, and I, and I understand that. I do. But in hindsight, if you could have handled how you explained this to the public up front, is there anything, if you could go back, is there anything you would do differently in that regard? Yeah, I think we were a little hamstrung. Um, I think both the Speaker and I, had our uh, fingers crossed that Governor Walker was going to be successful. So when we started kind of very, very loose discussions uh, between between just him and I, um, you know, at that point, to, to be quite honest with you, I was just as concerned that we could lose the majority in the state Senate as, as well as Governor Walker losing to Tony Evers. But in those discussions, we just kind of started working through some lists the speaker went directly to the nonpartisan fiscal bureau, just asked for kind of a very black and white list of things that maybe um, had been uh, moved over to the executive branch from the legislative branch in the eight years. And, you know, it's hard to explain, but one party control for eight years and with the amount of policy changes and initiatives, um, which are as long as your arm. Uh, that this Republican legislature had moved through the process to the governor's desk, it was so significant and so substantial in a real reform of Wisconsin top to bottom. I, I knew that there were going to be loose ends that were still hanging out there, and we simply tried to work through that process and articulate them. So I'm not going to say that, you know, this wasn't um, something that, you know, may have caught uh, the public off guard. I think some, you know, the same thing. I was having conversations with members along the way about different things that they thought needed to be moved specifically from rules over to statute. But yeah, I, I, you know, messaging can always, it's one of those things that can always be better. Um, and in the end, though, I think if you look at the 40 so items that, that ultimately the governor signed into law, a lot of them make sense. I, I will say this. I think some of them were prompted by campaign, um, quote-unquote, uh, promises, which could be construed as threats by Governor Evers along the way. Probably the most substantial one is that he was going to literally pull the rug out from Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, which I find extremely alarming now that that has been up and, and in place for eight years and having great success, I would say, for the last three years. Well, and that's but that's what people look at this as a power grab, saying, "Well, you don't like what he would do with it, so he took the power." And let me just one example of that, Senator. So, what Weedek did ultimately to help KC couldn't happen 
in the bill that Governor Walker signed. And can you see where people see hypocrisy there? I, you know, I, I understand the sentiment. I mean, more alarming to me is the whole idea of, of these series of threats, not only from Tony Evers, but, um, you know, I think candidate Flynn was probably the most over the top with this, that he literally was going to come in and file suit to stop the Foxconn project. And if you pull the rug out from WEDC uh, related to Foxconn and you did it in short term, you would literally uh, create a, a huge debacle that I don't know that we could necessarily unwind. And I think, you know, certainly the Republicans have a ton invested in this right now. So do local elected officials in southeastern Wisconsin. I mean, this has to happen. And I think we're all going to look back on this 10 years from now and say, what were we possibly thinking? Foxconn is a great success, and, and we want to make sure that that continues. Hey, can we hang, can uh, you hang out for one more segment, Senator? Absolutely, uh, yeah. Great. I've got a few more questions for you. We'll get to those in a couple of minutes. 1217 News Radio WTMJ. 1220 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. We are talking live with Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald. So, Senator, I want to switch gears from the lame duck, and I actually I want to look further back than that, and I want to start with a football analogy. A lot of Packers fans believe their team should have won more than two Super Bowls out of the careers of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers so far. Republicans had both houses of the legislature and the governor's office for eight years. Are you satisfied with what was accomplished on the conservative agenda in that time? Why or why not? Is there anything you feel is left on the table? Oh, gosh. I think if you look back, um, starting with Act 10, which obviously kind of set the table for um, what I referred to as kind of a, a significant um, you know, change in the direction of the state, uh, I think you just can kind of move through the list and tick off a number of items that we've worked on over the years that has put the state in a much better position. And it's what I came back to time and time again, uh, whether it was some of the reforms directed at labor, I would say the statewide expansion of school choice, uh, many of the significant changes I think we made in regards to rulemaking and uh, just as a result of that, uh, having putting um, specifically light manufacturing in a much better position uh, when it came to regulations, curtailing some of the actions of the old Department of Natural Resources. I mean, I think you can go on and on and on um, and talk about what was accomplished under Governor Walker with a full Republican legislature. I'm uh, I, I I think it's it's somewhat mind-boggling, and I've been saying this kind of out on on the trail and in the district as of late is it's still amazing that Scott Walker wasn't successful in November if you just look at the numbers and where we were eight years before that under Governor Doyle and where we are right now it's um, and I would put us up against not only any Midwestern state certainly but any state in the nation when it comes to just where we're positioned and uh, it's uh, there was a great deal accomplished under Governor Walker so given that track record, I'm going to pick up on what you just said, that the, the governor, you, you, know, you find it hard to believe he wasn't reelected. Nothing happens for one reason. So what do you think are the top few reasons why that list of accomplishments wasn't enough to earn him a third term? 
A little bit of it is the national mood. Um, certainly, I think, um, you know, what you can't control. And although on election night it didn't appear to be any type of blue wave, I think what we're seeing is certainly uh, with them being up to 40 seats, it shifted in the House of Representatives that there was certainly something going on, probably a bit of a backlash from President Trump being in office, so stuff that we don't always have full control over, which had an effect apparently about a 3% effect on a little bit less turnout in certain parts of the state in which the governor not only needed to have more people vote for him, which he did, but had to run up the numbers in a couple of specific areas of the state. Um, and, you know, it's close. It's still close. I mean, I don't care how you slice the 30,000 votes state, in a statewide election, and even less with the attorney general. Um, it doesn't exactly give Tony Evers some type of mandate. Uh, I think what it does is it shows that the state is, is still very much purple and probably will continue to be uh, going into the next election cycle. But I, I thought, you know, nobody could run any harder than certainly Governor Walker did. And for that, for that matter... Uh, Leah Vukmir, who ran very hard as well, and then the Attorney General. I mean, they, they certainly, um, you know, no one took anything for granted. So at the end of the day, I think there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just the way the election turned out. Final question for Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, and, and doubling back to that, uh, and I think you characterized this exactly right, that the ship of state in Wisconsin was turned to to the right with conservative reforms. What we hear is that people want cooperation between the two parties. But let's let's be clear, and you alluded to this earlier, uh, Governor Evers, his goal is going to be to turn the ship back around. So given those diametrically opposed ideologies, uh, is cooperation realistic in, in, in just about on any level? Yeah, I think there will be some common areas that ultimately the one thing that absolutely must get done in this state is that you pass the state budget. So um, I, I've said it before, I think many Wisconsinites will be alarmed by the first real look they get at Tony Evers. And I, I'm meeting actually uh, with the governor-elect uh, this week, so I hope we have a good productive conversation. But I think, you know, Tony Evers is a dyed-in-the-wool liberal Dane County liberal, if you look at his uh, personal track record of where he's come from, he went from the classroom to administrator to a CISA, and then was uh, you know basically put in place at DPI by the teachers union. So it's a one-track career, and I think you know what other what his knowledge is and how deep he can go and who he surrounds himself with is going to be critical. But I think a lot of Wisconsinites are going to be really shocked at uh, how far to the left he goes with this state budget in mid-February when he introduces it. Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, Jerry. Good to be with you. 1228 News Radio WTMJ, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. I don't want to steal Eric Bilstead's thunder as he does the news here in just a couple of minutes, but the sentencing for President Donald Trump's former national security advisor postponed until perhaps as late as March of 2019. Eric will explain why. I don't want to go any deeper than that at this point, but later in the show, I, I think it's a stunning development. It's dramatic, stunning 
pick your adjective. I'm not, I'm not sure uh, which one best qualifies. So we'll get to that later in the show. I want to, well, I don't want to tell you. See, this is where I'm a little frustrated here. I want to do something at 1235, but I can't tell you what it is. Because if I tell you in advance, it's not going to work. I want to conduct a radio experiment. I did a talk show for 15 years on a, daily, on a daily basis. Sometimes these work. Sometimes they don't. We'll find out. Kyle has already increased the chances of it working, producer Kyle, by throwing me a bone. Uh, uh, let me just say this. I would ask you to be around at 1235 if you can just call and answer a true-false question. I can tell you that much. That's all I want to tell you at this point. If you can be around at 1235, it won't take up much of your time. Kyle, put you on. Give me your name. I'll ask the question, and we'll say goodbye. And we'll see how this little experiment works in about five minutes. WTMJ and our friends at today's TMJ4 need your help to feed the hungry. Today's TMJ4 drop-off or dial an all-day holiday food drive. We want you to fill our lobby with healthy, non-perishable food. This is tomorrow, 6A to 7P. You don't even have to get out of your car to donate. We'll have volunteers standing by to take your donation as you pull through our driveway, 720 East Capitol Drive. Stop by tomorrow to help those in need. All right. I want to explain this, and then we'll, in a few minutes, see if I can make this work. This is a follow-up from a topic that we did yesterday. Here's what I'm asking. I would like to get 10 volunteers, very simple, painless. All you have to do is call the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620. Give Kyle your name. He'll get in the queue and... When it's your turn, I'm going to ask you a true or false question. Once I ask the question, you can also text. That's why we do call it the talk and text line, 414-799-1620. So it's a true or false question. I will tell you there is a right answer. This is not a subjective, well, what, what I think, it's this is true or this is false. And I understand that this is a bit of working without a net. If we don't get 10, that's okay. But I would like to get 10 volunteers to do this. So it's got to happen, and Kyle's already getting some calls here. That's good. Set you up. And in a few minutes, I will simply I'll ask, is the following true or false? And then you will say, I will say what it is, you will say, True or false? Again, you can also, once I ask the question, you can also text true or false to 414-799-1620. I'm going to give Kyle just a few minutes. He's uh, very busy doing that, so I will tell you what else we're going to get to a little later in the show today while he's doing that. I teased this yesterday. By the way, if you listen to my radio show when I was on different radio stations, I was famous or infamous for this. I would tease things and not get to it. Apparently, some things never change. I did that yesterday. Uh, Quick Trip. Quick Trip has become the Walmart of convenience stores. And what I mean by that is people love to hate Quick Trip. They've gotten too big. They're too successful. 
We'll get to that after 108. We will do the radio experiment in just a couple of minutes here. Again, it's 414-799-1620. I'll ask the true or false question in a couple of minutes. And then you can also text the answer as well. 1238 News Radio WTMJ. 1241 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. All right. We've got a sufficient number of callers. So what I'll do is I will say your name, ask you the true false question, and you will just say true or you will say false. This is a follow up to a topic that we did yesterday. And, uh, once you hear the question, you can also text true or false to 414-799-1620. To the phones we go, to Tom in Sheboygan. Tom, true or true or false, the FBI broke into Michael Cohen's office. True or false? False. Thanks a lot for the call. To... Uh, then we head next to, um, it looks like we're heading to uh, Ron, to Ron in Brookfield. Ron, true or false, the FBI broke into Michael Cohen's office? False. False. Thanks a lot for the call. Uh, let's see. To Linda in West Bend. Linda, true or false, the FBI broke into Michael Cohen's office? True. True. Thanks a lot for the call. Uh, to Rob in Beloit. Rob, true or false? The FBI broke into Attorney Michael Cohen's office. False. False. All right. To Carl in Kenosha. Carl, true or false? The FBI broke into Attorney Michael Cohen's office. True. True. Thanks a lot for the call. To uh, Rebecca. Rebecca in Racine. Rebecca, true or false? The FBI broke into Michael Cohen's office. False. False. And uh, I think, uh, okay, we've got Ray. Ray in Milwaukee. True or false? The FBI broke into Michael Cohen's office. False. False. All right, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, tell you what, we will, uh, we're, going to, we're going to leave it at that. We're going to leave it at that, Kyle. That's that's fine uh, because we have a number of texts on this as well. We have a whole lot of texts on this. So I've got to do the math on the text here. One true, two true, three true, uh, four true, five true, six true, seven true, eight true, uh, nine true, ten true. 11 true. So we have 11 trues. So we add that. And if you text now, I'm not going to add these in from this point on, just so you know. Um, just just because. I have to end this somewhere. And let's uh, count up the falses on text. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. So 13 and 5 is 18. This, this, the survey is done. Survey is done. Uh, 18 people say false, and I understand this is completely unscientific. 13, true. 18 people say it is false. 
that the FBI broke into Michael Cohen's office, 13% say true. It is absolutely false. It is completely false. And this is the point that I was trying to make yesterday. We don't have a reality anymore when we believe what we want to believe. This, of course, was brought up by a tweet from President Trump, uh, which I believe, did he tweet it Sunday or yesterday? I don't remember now. Remember, Michael Cohen only became a rat after the FBI did something which was absolutely unthinkable and unheard of until the witch hunt was illegally started. And then in all caps, they broke into an attorney's office. Why didn't they break into the DNC to get the server or Crooked's, I'm assuming that's Crooked Hillary's, office? They did not break in. They had a legally issued search warrant. This was done completely legally. It's called a search warrant. It happens all the time. It's amazing, and and believe me, James Comey is no bastion of truth either. We have seen how he can behave as well, but he does have this right. When no member of Congress will speak up and say this is demonstrably false, that you are lying about our FBI, then we just don't have reality anymore. And it doesn't matter if you support President Trump or if you oppose President Trump. We should all be in unison on reality, on the truth. They didn't break in. Do you think Michael, if they illegally broke into his office, do you think Michael Cohen would have pleaded guilty? Of course not. He would have said, hey, they broke into my office without a warrant. No, they had a lawfully granted and lawfully executed search warrant. Reality and truth cannot become matters of opinion because if they do, then we are lost. We are just lost as a society. And this is not pro-Trump or anti-Trump, and I know that it's getting characterized that way. We need to be pro-reality. And the reality is that you, the authorities got a legally acquired search warrant. They executed it in a legal fashion. They did not break in. And the notion that a legal proceeding would continue built on an unlawful break-in is just absurd. But here we have uh, 30, uh, how many people did I say we have? There are 31 people who call, or called or texted that I took. No, truth, uh, truth is in the eye of the beholder. No, it isn't. No, it actually isn't. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The truth is the truth. And the truth is they didn't break in by the way, I got three more falses after the fact. They did not break in. And uh, you know, we took a call from a woman yesterday. Well, I believe everything President Trump says. Well, you can't. Now, you can't believe anything any elected officials are, most politicians. I shouldn't say that. That's an unfair indictment. But many politicians, in fact, do at least fudge the truth. 
The president, quite frankly, does it far more often than the average politician. This is a self-serving, intentionally false statement to, to, in fact, make whatever Michael Cohen does look illegitimate. You can't debate over this. You can't debate reality. Some things the president says are demonstrably, factually false. This is one of them. Some of the things Elizabeth Warren says are demonstrably, factually false. That more people are in prison for marijuana possession than violent crimes. That's demonstrably, factually false. But the survey that we discussed yesterday shows that a majority of Democrats believe her. Why? Because Elizabeth Warren said it. And those of you who think this is all about Donald Trump, you're wrong. Obviously, because he is president, it's a lot about Donald Trump. But we stop having a society, we stop having a system of justice, and we stop having a reality if we simply believe the things we want to believe. Nobody but President Trump is disputing that authorities had a search warrant, including the man whose offices were searched, Michael Cohen. Yet, 13 out of 31 people calling or texting this show actually believed what the president said. That simply is not a sustainable reality for us. 1250 News Radio WTMJ. From the WTMJ Breaking News Center, I'm Eric Bilstead. Hollywood News, Penny Marshall has died. TMZ reporting that the actress, comedian, and director has passed away. She did so Monday night. Complications from diabetes. Penny Marshall, 75 years old. Of course, the uh, sitcom that made her famous, Laverne and Shirley, back in uh, the mid-70s, is what did it all for her. Penny Marshall, though, then becoming a very successful comedian, actress, and director. Dead at the age of 75. We'll have much more at 1 o'clock. It's 12.50. Twelve fifty four. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. So I got a couple of texts. I did a little science experiment on the radio. Kyle, I think it worked. If I if, now, I'm going to say this objectively. I'm not saying this is a factual statement. It's my opinion. I think we pulled that off. That's that's my humble opinion. I can't factually say we pulled it off because it's a subjective thing. It is a factual statement. When you say that someone broke into an attorney's office, and we took uh, about we took seven calls and a lot more texts, asking people true or false, attorney Michael Cohen's office was broken into by the FBI. It's false. Break in means you physically break into a door without the consent of the owner or a window or whatever. That's what break in means. You can try to parse that, but that's all you're doing is parsing. Got a couple of texts. By the way, it didn't happen. 13 out of 31 people believed the president. My point is, and it's not about Donald Trump, it's when you believe Elizabeth Warren or Hillary Clinton or anyone else when they say demonstrably false things, when you do so just because you support them politically, we're just on a, a road that I think is very dangerous. Two, two texts on this. Is it possible they obtained info surreptitiously prior to the legal warrant? Michael Cohen hasn't suggested that. And then this, 
You're playing some semantics. If someone has an illegal warrant to search my house and they illegally entered my house, one, I didn't hear anyone. Michael Cohen isn't challenging the legality of the warrant. But even when confronted with reality, the, des- the, the desire to believe what the person we support tells us is so strong, we'll come up with these things. And again, it doesn't matter if the left, right, or in between does it. This is not self-sustaining as a democracy or even a society. Which is why I wrinkled a lot of people as a conservative. I don't go along with President Trump's lies any more than I went along with Bill Clinton's lies or President Obama's lies or Hillary Clinton's lies. The reality is Trump lies a lot more often than all of them. But whatever the volume, you simply, it is my belief, you have to, we should be unison in the truth. I just think that is critically, critically important. All right. We have another one for you to weigh in on, starting uh, at about 108. I'll set it up a little more, but I'll just give you a whiff of the cork, as it were, here, and then I will pour you a glass of this. So, oh, gosh, about a week ago, Gannett, in all of its newspapers, and by the way, that's most, not all, but most daily newspapers in Wisconsin these days, of course, the Journal Sentinel, Uh, Green Bay, Appleton, Oshkosh, Manitowoc, Stevens Point, Wisconsin Rapids, did I say Wausau, Uh, Marshfield, uh, Fond du Lac, I got a lot of them. And a lot of them these days are really just the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel repackaged with a couple of local stories. Online, they did a story about Quick Trip. And the name of it is Quick Trip Takeover. Small businesses work to keep up with Midwest Powerhouse Convenience Store. Now, it's Sunday. They put this in the print edition of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, if, if, if that's the case with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. But in any event, I want to get your thoughts on the Quick Trip Takeover. This reminds me of Walmart. Remember Walmart, too big, evil. People just felt that Walmart should be reined in. There shouldn't be so many Walmarts. You are seeing this now. And now there is a geographic divide on this. In this geographic divide, in northeast and far north Wisconsin, uh, central Wisconsin, Quick trips are everywhere. They're starting to get that type of footprint here in southern Wisconsin. Is it ever possible for someone or an entity to get too big, to be unfair? Of course, we have laws against monopolies. But is that what's really going on here? I'll I'll share a little more than that. I'm also going to share a text that we just got, though, before we get into this topic. I'll get into all of that after 1 o'clock. 1259 News Radio WTMJ. One oh seven, one oh eight. Let's make it. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. It is breaking news in Milwaukee, no doubt about it. Penny Marshall, Laverne DeFazio, passed away at the age of 75. Of course, that certainly 
uh, is the role for which she became most famous. What, Schatz Brewery? Was that the name of the fictional Milwaukee brewery that she and Shirley Feeney? Oh, it's been a long time. Uh, where they worked. She, of course, went on to a lot of behind-the-camera success as well. This is, it was you know, two shows, of course, Happy Days, and then Laverne and Shirley, a spinoff of that. After all, we have the Fonzie statue uh, in Milwaukee. But it, it really, I don't want to say it would be just wrong to say it put Milwaukee on the map, but in the 70s and 80s, as the population of Milwaukee was declining and not that top, I don't, I don't remember how high Milwaukee ever got in the population. Top 20. I'm pretty sure of that. I don't believe it was ever top 10, but I'm, I'm not sure of that. It, you know, And the actors seemed to be pretty welcoming to, uh, you know, or felt warmly about the city of Milwaukee. So age 75, Penny Marshall uh, has passed away. I want to just... Just in passing, mention a text before we get to the quick trip topic, which we already have texts on. Ron didn't like the radio experiment. He didn't. T- I guess Ron just doesn't like me. Ron didn't say what was wrong with the with the segment. Ron, if there was anything factually inaccurate, you go ahead and shoot us another text at four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. You let us know what that might be. All right, so on to the quick trip topic. Now, I live in Green Bay, and if you live in, I would say, probably about the Highway 10 divide. And I'm just, that was arbitrary on my part. There are quick trips all over the place. They are growing. Let me just read to you a little bit from the story that Gannett did. This was online about a week ago, but at least in the Green Bay paper. It was in the print editions on Sunday. The company now boasts more than 600 locations in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa, and it continues to keep the pedal down on growth, said Hans Zitlow, director of real estate for Quick Trip. We try to evenly spread out our growth between our three-state market. Uh, they are in Minnesota and Iowa, as well as Wisconsin. When the best opportunities arise, he said, in order to do that, we're probably monitoring 200 sites at any given time to build 50 stores a year. That is an ambitious building program. They currently operate 376 convenience stores in the state of Wisconsin. Most recently, the company purchased more than 30 PDQs. You probably heard this story. It's just recently. It's a while ago now. In Madison and Milwaukee markets. I have, in northern Wisconsin, being on the radio at that time, I have seen local governments try to stop Quick Trip. I've seen city council members and village board members. We don't need a Quick Trip. Why is Quick Trip successful? Because they provide a product people want. They provide it in a way people want. And yes, increasingly, they use their economies of scale to provide that at a cost-effective way. I really have a problem when an elected official says, we don't need a quick trip there. 
I'm a big believer in letting the market decide that. Now, I also love locally owned stores. By the way, Quick Trip is a Wisconsin-based It's local as far as I'm concerned. But I had this conversation with another host in Appleton. Josh Duclo and I, we kind of debated this last week when the story first came out online. Josh actually used to be on the planning commission in Appleton, and he voted against a quick trip. The case he makes is, when it goes in right next to an existing convenience store with gas tanks underground, there's a really good chance that store is going to go out of business. Therefore, quick trip, if that happens, quick trip should be on the hook for some of the remediation when that happens, so the convenience store can be redeveloped into something else. Gas tanks are problematic. There's rarely a clean extraction without soil remediation because of seepage. It's just, it's just a reality. I don't think Quick Trip should pay for someone else's failure. And I would argue that there are ways to innovate, be creative, and compete when a bigger dog comes in on the block. I don't think there are too many Quick Trips. Quick Trip will decide how many are too many. If they do too many, and Walmart has done this, McDonald's has done this. If they oversaturate, the stores will close. But when local officials say, we don't need another Quick Trip, I, I really am not comfortable with that. Josh's theory is an interesting one, but I still don't think Quick Trip should have to pay for somebody else's failure. The notion that it is a fait complete that an existing convenience store is going to fold, I just, I, I, I don't accept that. I love Quick Trips. I, you know, they have the reputation for having some of the cleanest bathrooms on the road. I think that's usually my wife's stop of choice when we're traveling. We are going to take calls on this if uh, you want to weigh in on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. Got a bunch of texts. I will share those in just a moment as well. 114 News Radio WTMJ. WTMJ and our friends at today's TMJ4 need your help to feed the hungry. Today's TMJ4 drop off or dial an all day holiday food drive, and we want you to fill our lobby with healthy, non perishable foods. That's tomorrow, 6A to 7P. You don't even have to get out of your car to donate. Well, a volunteer standing by to take your donation as you pull through our driveway, 720 East Capitol Drive. Stop by tomorrow to help those in need. I call this the Walmartization of Quick Trip. There are, I think, some people, and I'm not saying this is all of the opposition to the expansion of the Quick Trip throughout Wisconsin, but just don't like the idea. You know how they say America loves a winner? Unless you win too much. Then America turns on winners. And I think to a degree that's what you are seeing with Quick Trip. Were you actually, and I have, again, the bigger deal up north where there's already a lot more of them, they are starting to make a footprint now in southeast Wisconsin. But you've had village boards, you've had city council members, we, we don't need another quick trip. I don't like government doing that. Got a 
bunch of texts on this. Racine has just built another quick trip on Highway 20. We have a total of four, I believe. I love quick trip. Best gas station convenience store around. Stephen West Bend. I love quick trip. We have two in West Bend. Uh, my opinion is simple. If you don't think you need a quick trip in your market area, don't patronize. Well, the argument is, though, that they, un- at least some people say, they unfairly leverage their size with lost leader prices that the other convenience stores cannot compete. I would argue then you need to come up with a way to build a better mousetrap. To Lou in Oconomowoc. Lou, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I am a big proponent of Quick Trip. Um, my wife and I, I was telling your uh, call, our call screener that we travel up to the UP every two weeks, basically. It's a five-hour drive, and we know everything from <laughs> every Quick Trip from here to... Uh, all the way up past Highway 51. Our last stop is in uh, about an hour, just an hour away from our place up north. So, and that's in the UP of Michigan. And um, what I was telling him, and I, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those places. It's safe for one thing. There's always plenty of staffing. You walk into the restrooms. For crying out loud, they've got a they've got a switch on the wall that says if there's anything in here unacceptable hit the switch. I've only done that one time, and my God, there were th- three people walking up and going, is everything okay in there? Oh, yeah. Just missing so, this or that. Lou, it's like, okay. Lou, let, let, let me ask you this. What do you say to those people, and, and, and I agree with you, I love Quick Trip, what do you say to those people, though, that they unfairly leverage their size to put the little guy out of business? Well, here's the thing. I've, I've been going to Quick Trips for probably 30 years. They used to have one out in uh, the Dodgeville area. They were small at one time, just like everybody else, but they figured it out. They provide good wages, full benefits, um, and in smaller communities, I've got a friend in the Horicon area, he tells me they don't have a grocery store there right now, or or what they have is next to nothing. Um, He says, we go in there for our groceries. Some of these big chains aren't even in these smaller towns, and these things are just a gathering place. Um, they do a lot of things right. I mean, even uh, one of the big things we always kid about is you walk in, they've got free ATM service. That doesn't right. exist Lou, everywhere. Oh, and Lou, thanks a lot for the call. Th- no. Lou, i got to let you go. Lou, Lou i got to let you go. I really appreciate the call. We need to get to other calls. To Steve and Amro. Steve, go ahead. Hi. Uh, I'm against Quick Trip. Okay. Are you with, are you with me? Um, yeah, go, go ahead. I live between uh, Oshkosh and Berlin, uh, okay. and Oshkosh has several quick trips, most of which are on ma- major intersections. I've witnessed at least two accidents in Oshkosh, one in Stevens Point, all at quick trips, uh, because of their location at these intersections, they're just prone to be accidents there. Uh, you know, people mistake uh, turn signal to turn at the intersection, and instead somebody will turn into Quick Trip or whatever. But anyhow, it's uh, their top tier gas. I don't believe is top tier. I work for a company that we. Uh, well, hang on a second. We hang on a second, because uh, 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 see, I, okay, I can't, I can't speak to that. It, okay, so maybe if you have issues for whatever reason with Quick Trip, one, I would say they're not responsible for, for accidents in the area. But two, if you don't like the product, then just don't use it, right? I, 
No, I don't. I treat them like McDonald's. I don't care for McDonald's, and then I don't go to Quick Trip uh, or use their product. So, uh, that's... thanks a lot for the call, Steve. Th- yeah. Thanks a lot for the call. I, then that's what you do, though. If for whatever reason you don't like Quick Trip, then don't go to Quick Trip. But I don't like the idea of government deciding that something is too big, and you and you have seen that happen in multiple occasions in Wisconsin, either successfully or attempts. Just say, we don't want another quick trip. They're going to hurt the the small business nearby. To Tom in central Wisconsin. Tom, go ahead. Well, thank you for my call. Um, Love quick trip. We're in a rural area. It's an hour to go anywhere. It's a blessing that they're there. One of your first callers mentioned a lot of these small towns don't offer grocery stores anymore. Businesses have gone out, and the other competitors or so-called competitors for Quick Trip could duplicate it, do the same thing, take a picture. No different than the old adage about a cafe. You became successful for a good portion, a reasonable price, and the competition came up and offered good portion, reasonable price as you raised your prices and cut your portion, and you sit and wonder, why am I not getting any business? Well, take a picture. Offer a friendly welcome, clean bathrooms, uh, products that are quality, and they're open, and there's no other choice. We're, we're 45 to a minutes to an hour, north, south, east, or west, and the Quick Trip is the only game. I, is, they're not putting anybody out. The fellow from Omro to Berlin. Berlin's, all, all their grocery stores closed and went out of business. The only thing there is Walmart. So your choice is Walmart or Quick Trip. Um, Tom, thanks a lot for the call. Thanks a lot for the call. I, I Well, and some would say, though, that Quick Trip, had something to do with that. All right, we've got a bunch of people. We'll get to as many calls as we can in a couple of minutes. 124 News Radio WTMJ. 126 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry and for Jeff. Here's what I haven't heard so far from any callers is that the whole concept that Quick Trip forces the little guy out. Now, I'm not saying that hasn't happened. In fact, I know that it has happened. I would argue, for example, I love Quick Trip, but I also go to another station where I get the you know I have the discount thing going on. And there are two in Green Bay pretty close to each other. The one I go to, well, it's a Shell station, and, and the Quick Trip. I go to the Quick Trip when that works. When, when I need gas, well, I, uh, <laughs> I, I take the discount on gas. I think you can compete. To Jeff in Milton. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jerry. Um, I, I echo the point that you were just making. I'm from Milton, Wisconsin. We had um, we have two quick trips in town, one on each side of town, about three miles apart. The one quick trip put a Senex station out of business um, that was right across the street from us. And about two weeks after that station went out of business, the quick trip raised their gas prices eight to ten cents higher than anybody else in the area, um, including places in Janesville. So it's great uh, for a quick trip, but uh, when people talk about they're the only game in town, it's not always a good thing because now they're gouging us on their gas prices, and you have to drive to a different town if you want to buy gas, or you're going to pay their prices. Well, and I can't, you know, and, and I can't. I'm not saying you're lying, but I can't in any way vouch. I mean, that if that happened, I, you know, again, I can't vouch for that. But thanks a lot for the call. Here's what I would say: I would take the first part of that is the competitor going out of business. Yeah. 
I mean, they're if you if you are do if Quick Trip comes in and does does listen to me does essentially what you were doing, you're going to have to do something different. But you know what? The big guy eventually fails too. Walmart, you're seeing struggles, and and they were considered invincible. Uh, Quick Trip's got a great model, but it's it's going to have its limit as well. One more call on this, Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jerry, how are you? Good. Good. Um, I uh, like I told you, screen. I'm a personal friend of the Beatwell family. I travel all over the Midwest. I use exclusively, exclusively Quick Trip. All the things that have been said so far. Um, clean, uh, you can count on things consistently, but the thing I think a lot of people don't realize is the way that the Zelo family is philanthropically minded to the community and in just a lot of places. Joe, thanks a lot for the call. appreciate it. Look, they have figured out, they've built a better mousetrap, and they do provide a great product. And I find it interesting that Gannett, you know, that has the power of being in a lot of markets where Quick Trip is, and they didn't attack Quick Trip, and I'm not saying that they did, but they're say, they and they also, by the way, I want to be fair. The story also points out that some competitors to Quick Trip did survive. They figured out a way to provide something different, do something different. I think that is the key. I just I don't like the idea of government saying no, you're too big, no, we don't need you. One thirty-five News Radio WTMJ Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner after two o'clock. I want to do a sports topic, but I think it transcends sports. Should Aaron Rodgers start the last two games of quarterback, final two games of the season for the Green Bay Packers? I think it's actually a fascinating argument because I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, Okay. If you uh, are in the fantasy league playoffs right now, you might have something to say about it. But I'll tell you what, I'm not. I went four and ten. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback, most of the way. I did ultimately switch to Mitch Trubisky for a while, believe it or not. But you have that. You have you know, people are going to pay to see those last two games in person. Uh, it'll be it on the road in New York. Or at Lambeau, the Lions. Uh, I think it's tough. On the other hand, quite frankly, I'm not all that interested in them winning anymore. I, I, I truly am not. I would rather see the draft pick. I don't want them to lose, but winning is entirely cosmetic at this point. Joe Philbin may disagree with me on that. But... Philbin is also right when he says, look, we we're, we get paid, and we can't just mail it in. Now, he is being called healthy. I'm not so sure on that. I don't know that I agree with that characterization right now. I still think he's dinged up. I don't know. But we'll see what you think at about 2.08. Also, haven't mentioned this in a while, uh, a couple of things going on in the news today, and I consider this first one, Pretty bombshell. Michael Flynn was to be sentenced today. Uh, That didn't happen when apparently the judge wasn't as friendly as he anticipated. The recommendation was essentially no prison time, and the judge was making it very clear that there were deep concerns from the bench, Judge Emmett Sullivan. 
had very strong words for Flynn and suggested that he would be going to prison. To which point Flynn and his lawyer said, ah, we want to talk about this cooperating thing more. And now it's been put on hold until March, which would lead me to believe that prosecutors think there's more to be had, more to be harvested from Flynn or what. That's a long time. That's a long delay. I think that's a a major news story, and you're hearing that throughout the day from the WTMJ newsroom. And then a rally on Wall Street has retreated a bit, one twenty up one twenty six right now. It had been up, uh, I don't recall what the high water mark was so far today, but uh, with about an hour and a half of trading to go a little less than that. Uh, it's now up 126.52 at this moment. All right, I think this next story is interesting. How can I say this? There's not a mitigating circumstance. There's a, a complication. There's a complication to this story. Let me just read a little bit from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. A state senator and longtime vocal critic of the UW system on Monday night labeled the exit agreement UW Whitewater Chancellor Beverly Copper accepted before resigning her chancellorship a taxpayer funded scam under the agreement that followed a scandal over her husband's alleged sexual harassment of female university employees, Copper will resign as chancellor effective December 23rd. She is resigning ostensibly over the behavior of her husband, who at one time had campus access, kind of an honorary type thing, uh, but is accused of acting inappropriately with women in that capacity. Where I find this interesting is, so Steve Nas who I would say is more of a watchdog than a critic over the UW system, is saying, look, this is a scam. What is she getting this sweet payout for when her husband was behaving this way? Now, if the person in the chancellor's position was behaving this way, I think it would be a slam dunk. So what you have here, well, there are a couple of things going on. But what where you have here is, it's by extension. Her husband is accused of the inappropriate behavior. She is not. Did she know about it? Did she suborn it? Did she somehow uh, facilitate it? Again, I'm not saying she did. I'm saying, you know, those are all legitimate questions. So here's what's going on. She resigns, as I said, effective at the end of the year. There's just a couple of weeks. Less about that. She'll continue to be paid her chancellor's salary while on administrative leave through the end of next August. So she's going to be an admin leave until August, which means uh, she'll be paid $160,000, more than that. When the next academic year starts, she will take a pay cut to a nine-month salary of $118,308 and join the faculty through May 2020 as a tenured psychology professor. All of that, according to documents obtained Monday by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Paying anyone $161,849 with full state benefits to do almost nothing for eight months is a taxpayer-funded scam. Nas said in a statement released Monday night, hours after that agreement was revealed. 
I have shared my outrage directly with President Cross, Nas said, referring to UW System President Ray Cross, who accepted Copper's resignation as chancellor and sent her the exit agreement that offered both continued pay as a chancellor and a new faculty appointment. Nas, who was vice chairman of the Senate Committee on Universities and Technical Colleges, invoked the ramifications of a potential recession. And yeah, we are talking about, which by the way, separate topic, but the whole uh, recession fears, recession fears, recession fears. To me, to a degree, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Anyway, back to the story. As we face the increasing possibility of a recession next year, well, Steve, the more people say it, I think the more likely, I just, I, really, if there is such a thing as, as a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think that's one of them. There will be taxpayers that may lose their jobs in 2019, but be expected to pay taxes and tuition for their kids to finance a former chancellor doing almost nothing for eight months. So I see a lot of moving parts to this story. Okay, we are assuming she's resigning over her husband's behavior. Now, this is going to sound like a silly question, but I want you to walk through this. She ostensibly is resigning over her husband's behavior. Why? No, I, I think, why? We need to know why. Here's why. We need to know why. Because if she is residing over her husband's behavior, do we not have to believe, infer, assume that that signals culpability on her part? Responsibility on her part? If it doesn't, I'll be honest, she shouldn't resign. If her husband was behaving in this way and she knew nothing about it, why should she resign? What responsibility, what rationale for punitive measures against her? And now, and again, I can't assume it's punitive. Is she resigning out of embarrassment? If so, then why, in fact, would we pay her, we being the state, for this time? And if she's resigning as chancellor, why is it okay to come back as a psych professor? That sounds like a demotion masquerading as a resignation and a second career. That's what it sounds like. I think Steve Nass is asking a very legitimate question here. If she's resigning, why? And if it's because she did know that the and if the allegations against her husband are true, and if she knew that, then why is she being paid out? And then why does she get another gig when the next academic year starts? I think these are all questions that need to be answered. I think they're legitimate questions. These types of things, none of this would happen in the private sector. I'm at if. If a spouse was behaving, misbehaving, and the person who holds the job didn't know that, I don't think they would be fired. If they did know it, they would be fired. And if there was inappropriate behavior on her, and again, I'm not saying there, it's all hypothetical, but let's say she did know. And again, we don't know that, and I'm not, I'm not, Implying we know that, I'm saying hypothetically. What if she did know? Then she should get nothing. Think of CBS and Les Moonves. He blew a $120 million severance once they investigated and found out the way he behaved. 
if she was complicit in the alleged behavior, and if the alleged behavior happened, and again, these are ifs, 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 well, then she shouldn't get anything. If she wasn't, she shouldn't resign. So I think a lot of good questions here being asked by Steve Knauss. 145, News Radio WTMJ. WTMJ and our friends at Today's TMJ4 need your help to feed the hungry. Today's TMJ4 drop off or dial all day holiday food drive. We want you to fill our lobby with healthy, non-perishable food. This is tomorrow, 6A to 7P. You don't even have to get out of your car to donate. We'll volunteer standing by to take your donation as you pull through our driveway, 720 East Capitol Drive. Stop by tomorrow. Help those in need. I think this next story is more difficult to have a definitive opinion on than it might first appear. No matter how many years later, if you were a Nazi complicit in war crimes, you should face justice, right? I mean, what you just should. Perhaps one of the mo- you, you were complicit in one of the most horrific crimes in history certainly in the 20th century. CNN had a story back on, uh, it was over the weekend. Johann Rebogen still remembers the lentil stew he ate with other military recruits as they traveled crammed into cattle cars to join the German Wehrmacht in 1942. Wehrmacht. I never pronounced that right. He recalls the movie screened at the SS training camp. Quacks the Crash Pilot, a comedy. He also remembers seeing prisoners for the first time. They had on prison uniforms, and they looked truly miserable. This was a big shock for me, recalled the 94-year-old, who currently is on trial for his role as an SS guard at the Stutthof concentration camp in what was then German-occupied Poland. The Wehrmacht officers were eloquent, said Ray Bogan, in rare testimony read out in court by his lawyer last month. They seemed downright heroic to us. But when I saw the prisoners, it was clear that this picture was trying to convey was wrong. Former SS guard uh, Ray Bogan is accused of being an accessory to the murder of hundreds. He's one of five defendants now in court, with another 20 still under investigation, according to German's Federal, Germany's federal authority for the investigation of Nazi crimes. He is being tried as a juvenile because he he's 94. He's being tried as a juvenile because he was under 21 at the time of the alleged crimes. It's a law in the books. He has denied knowledge of a deliberate killing campaign. In other words, he's saying, I didn't know what they were doing. Ray Bogan, uh, the country now racing against time to bring the last surviving perpetrators of Nazi war crimes, now well into old age, to justice. But for many, it's too little too late. The number of suspects that have been brought to trial is a tiny percentage of the more than 200,000 perpetrators of Nazi-era crimes. Way too late, Mary Fulbrook, a professor of German history at University College London. The vast majority of perpetrators got away with it. In fact, uh, the 140,000 individuals brought to court between 1946 and 2005, only 6,600-plus 6, ended in convictions. 
And then in 2011, there was John Demenyuk, found guilty by a Munich court of being an accessory to the murder of more than 28,000. So the question that the story ultimately asks is what is served in this way? In one place, one of those to stand trial was a, a Nazi bookkeeper. They are no longer a harm to society. I think that in most cases, it's pretty fair to say they don't pose a risk to society. But in even just whatever supporting capacity they played, the justice, the judicial argument is, hey, they were part of this. They were part of an absolutely horrific enterprise. I don't know what else to call it. Enterprise. So what do you do with them? You adjudicate, you put them in prison for the rest of their lives. They're 94, they're 95. I am very conflicted on this. Because I don't think being complicit in the Holocaust that there's a statute of limitations on that. On the other hand, they are now frail old men who pose a threat to no one. A house arrest? I don't... I don't know. But I know you have to be careful with allowing the perception of a little old man. So, well, come on. Now, again, I also think you do have to look at the roles. They point to the bookkeeper of Auschwitz, Oscar Groening, for his role as an SS accountant at the Nazi death camp, was tried and convicted in northern Germany, uh, Lunenburg, in 2015 as an accessory to the murder of 300,000 people. He made several statements in court at times harrowing in their vivid detail, but also repellent in his candid recollection of Nazi ideology. He's 96. And there are people who are conflicted on, on this. And he describes seeing a baby smashed against the wall. It's just, ugh. I don't know what you do with them. But I do know that the same thing, a lot of people in this country, when Fidel Castro became a frail old man. Oh, he's just an old guy. Brutal dictator. This is a little different in some cases in terms of how involved they were, but I believe they knew. I don't doubt for a minute they knew. So I don't think you just say they're old and we don't do anything. I can't go along with that. But I don't. It, putting in prison, 94, 95-year-old man, I, I think it's a very difficult issue. 154, News Radio, WTMJ. 157, Jerry in for Jeff. All right, I got a fair amount of house cleaning done here. I uh, was trying to catch up on some topics from yesterday. I did okay. I do want to mention the Dow now up just six points. It had been up a few hundred, I don't remember exactly what, but it had a pretty good rally going after another disastrous day. And uh, that has seemed, with about an hour of trading left to go, uh, has uh, kind of petered out. Which, these things do happen. You had some bargain hunting going on, and, and that has kind of run its course. Apparently, we'll see where it ends up 
uh, about an hour from now. All right, after 2 o'clock, I want to, I, I do want to do, well, we'll see how brief it is. I'm not going to say a brief topic. We'll see what you think. I want to ask the question whether Aaron Rodgers should start at quarterback for the final, uh, for the remainder games of the season. And why or why not? And I think this transcends football. And it actually gets into business and providing the expected product. Is it fair? Is it right for people paying for tickets to basically see uh, what's on the part of the Packers an exhibition game? On the other hand, I would rather see them lose than win at this point and get a higher draft pick and see Aaron Rodgers not get hurt as you've got a promising reasons to believe that 2019 will be promising. And we're going to try here. We're going to try to get to the story that I teased yesterday and didn't get to, uh, and I would definitely want to take calls on this as well. An 18-year-old took his own life, and his family says the priests who presided over the funeral made a bad day a lot, lot worse. 159 News Radio WTMJ. Two oh eight, third and final hour for today. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. All this week, a big chunk of next week. Jeff has called it a year. We'll be back bright and fresh, twenty nineteen. So I have to make a confession here. When Christmas nears, I like it to feel like Christmas. I, this could this could be one of the least popular things I say. Forty two degrees right now, pretty much. About as Melissa just pointed out, about everywhere in Wisconsin that she mentioned, Madison, Green Bay, Milwaukee, 42 degrees. I like it to feel like what I consider to be feeling like Christmas, and that's colder. I know it's not Christmas yet anyway. I like a little dusting of snow Christmas Eve. Just, uh, you know. On the other hand, look, I'm really not complaining. <laughs> this is just absolutely gorgeous December 18th in the 40s and, and pretty close just a little bit of a dip in the next few days good good stuff alright I want to take some calls on this and texts of course uh, either or is just fine at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620 I draw your attention to the story right now at WTMJ.com the Green Bay Packers find themselves in unfamiliar territory with no playoff berth to chase, but quarterback Aaron Rodgers healthy enough to play in the final two games of a going-nowhere season. If interim head coach Joe Feldman has anything to say about it, anyone who is healthy enough to play, including Rodgers, will play against the Jets, and then I'm assuming at home against the Lions, despite the circumstances. Rodgers has played all season with a left knee injury sustained in the season opener. We all know that. He also injured his groin during the Packers' 24-17 loss to Chicago. Both injuries against the Bears, just a coincidence, I'm sure, uh, at Soldier Field. Though the quarterback quickly added he wants to play in the final two games, regardless of the risk. He's not 100% healthy. I don't care what anyone says. He's not 100% healthy. I think that's pretty clear. It's in line with the message 
Philbin delivered to the team Monday afternoon. In the general sense, my philosophy is football players are paid to play football games, and football coaches are paid to coach them. Obviously, we have to go through the week, and we would never put any player out there that wasn't physically ready to go. But that's my general philosophy and overall philosophy, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or anybody else. We're the Green Bay Packers. We're a football team, and we're in the business of winning football games. And we want all our players who are healthy to contribute to the overall success of the team, period. They're 5-8-1. and one. They're going to finish, even if they were to win these last two games, they're going to finish below 500. This is another one I'm conflicted on. I agree with everything Joe Philbin is quoted as saying there. Every last word. I still don't think Aaron Rodgers should play. What? How could you do that? Well, he's right. And by the way, I am going to be at Lambeau Field for the finale. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I, I get it. People are paying good money to see the game. And I, and I get that Aaron Rodgers should play. But here's my case why I'm, I, I'm really torn on this. Philbin's right with a huge yabut. Here's the yabut. I think he's still hurt. These games mean nothing. You are already looking to 2019. Why face a, 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 another serious injury, which would be completely meaningless for Aaron Rodgers. And quite frankly, let's just be honest. Winning games now does them more harm than good. They're 5-8-1. Finishing 5-10-1 is going to give them a much better draft pick, or at least a better draft pick, I don't know how many slots it will move them, than 7-8-1. 7-8-1. From, from a common sense What's best for the team, I think what's best for the team is to sit him. To shelve him for the rest of the season. Shut him down, as they say. On the other hand, I get what, I absolutely get where Philbin's coming from. This is what they get paid to do. I think, I think he's right. This is, where, so this is where I am on this. I think he's right, but I would like to see them do what I just said. You mean you want them to do the wrong thing? No, so I don't know. But can you, I, I just think there are compelling arguments on both sides. I think Philbin, ultimately from a business perspective, in terms of business ethics, I guess he's right. But is it really unethical to protect a player for next year, the most important player? I mean, when you look at the way he's throwing the ball, something is wrong. It may have just been the groin mostly last week, but something was wrong. They are meaningless games. But yet I go back to Philbin's point. This is why I am chasing my tail like a puppy. So why don't you help me out? 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620. 214 News Radio WTMJ. 216 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. Pretty straightforward. Should he sit or should he play? He would be number 12, Aaron Rodgers. I've just chased my tail for about five minutes. I I think interim coach Joe Philbin is right. 
You get paid to play. You should play. People pay to see a certain product, even if the games are meaningless. I, it's really hard for me to argue with that, except I think I agree with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jerry. Um, I agree that he should not play because it's not worth the risk. And a lot, I think a lot of people have actually kind of checked out uh, from the Packers and are not paying as, atten- as much attention. And then for the people that did buy a ticket, I think they need to understand that when you buy a ticket for a sporting event, you're always going to be taking that risk that your favorite player might not be playing. And that actually happened to me when I bought a ticket to a hockey game and went out to Minnesota and then one of my favorite players wasn't playing, and I, you know, didn't get upset or start crying or anything. And, and let me just throw this by you. All right, doesn't it? Can you make the case that letting Deshaun Kaiser play uh, gives him some real game experience in the event, you know, gosh forbid, that he's needed in 2019? Yeah, that's another uh, pro to not having a Rodgers play. I didn't think of that. Good call. Thanks a lot for that. Good, good call yourself. Thanks a lot, Jeff. To Darren in St. Francis. Darren, go ahead. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree with everything that you guys just, just said on the radio. Um, bench Rogers, save him for next year, make sure that he doesn't get a concussion or something or knock him out of the game completely for next year. Let's see what this uh, new quarterback, quarterback can do with the, with the team. Try some new things. Um, but you get, you got to save the money, guy. All right, now, now, let's, let me see if I can get you to chase your tail. Let's say it's Lambeau Field, the Lions are there, there's a 12-year-old kid who is all year dreaming of seeing Aaron Rodgers play. He may never get to Lambeau Field again. What about him? Well, I, yeah, that 12-year-old <laughs> kid is you know deserving of seeing Aaron Rodgers. But if Aaron Rodgers got hurt, or gets hurt, do you think he's going to not want to see his quarterback out there next year because of that? Or, you know, hey, he might be seeing the next Aaron Rodgers with this new quarterback. Well, that is a possibility. Darren, thanks a lot for the call. To Bill in Mount Pleasant. Bill, go ahead. Hi. I I had mixed feelings about everything after all the losses. But watching Rodgers through the years, he... You know that he's frustrated about timing. He's a timing person. You be at a certain place at a certain time, the ball will be sitting there waiting for you. Now he's got re- receivers that are hurt or rookies. He's got people that don't that know that. And now he's not sure himself, actually, whether the person's going to be there or not. You see the ball being thrown short. You see it fall five yards above the guy's head, behind the guy. I think that Rodgers needs to, and I need to think we need to keep him in there only because he needs to uh, uh, play the game like all the other quarterbacks. If your guy's open, you throw it to the guy. You know, you have to look. He's got to learn a whole new way of playing the game, and it's just like all the other quarterbacks have learned. You know, I really think that that's the issue. Let me ask. Let me ask you this, Bill. Do you think you now? You ju- you just made a lot of really good points about his performance. I still think there's physically something wrong with him. Well, I do too. Up to a certain point, you can see it. You know, anytime, even when Fire was playing, it just irked me that whenever he went back and came off the balls of his feet, you know, whenever he's throwing backwards, whenever he isn't throwing forward, 
that just drives me absolutely up a wall because you know you're going to lose accuracy. When you're not throwing it, when you can't get your body forward, that's a line issue be protecting the quarterback. You know, and that's not so much his issue, but it's a lot of injuries. It's a lot of different things, but it's also timing on his receivers. You know, he's got receivers that are not ready to be there. He's not sure if they're going to be there. He's hesitant. He's not confident. You can see it in his eyes before the game. And I think that he's got to learn to, in his, in the mind frame for right now, if, if someday the receivers do finally get the ideas and he finally can do what he used to be, then great. But I, but you're right. I think he's also hurt. Bill, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. To Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Uh, I think they should play him because uh, they don't, they try and save him in the spring, and that's why he doesn't have timing with his receivers. He, uh, you know, the young receivers need him there to practice with, and uh, the timing was off all year because he doesn't practice. Okay, well, a couple of things on that. I actually, I agree with you that I don't think Aaron Rodgers plays enough in the preseason. I have thought that for some time. But does two games at the end of a season really impact next season, though? Yep, you start building for next year. You make that's, that's two more times they have a chance to work with them in a game situation. And uh, I, game situation is so much quicker, fast-paced than, than working on a practice field. All right, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Um, I think we can squeeze in one or two more calls at 414-799-1620-223. News Radio WTMJ. Two twenty-five News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. Should he sit? Should he play? Aaron Rodgers. Rick in Green Bay. Rick, you're in WTMJ. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing? Yes, Good. I believe that they should, he should play. He's paid to play, and I think that they should stop babying the guy. I've, I've lived up here the majority of my life. You wouldn't see Brett Favre well, not playing. Well, okay, <laughs> that's a really good point. And, of course, by the time Favre was this late in his career, you couldn't keep him off the field. He had that streak going, although he said the streak wasn't important to him. Uh, boy, he was really hard to keep off the field. Rogers, for his part, says he does, in fact, want to play. Here's what I would say, Rick. I think Aaron Rodgers playing is the right thing to do. I think the selfish part of me doesn't want him to play because I think it's in the best interest of the Packers in any number of ways if they if he doesn't. They'll probably have a better draft pick if they lose two more games. He doesn't risk further injury, and you just retool it for next year. But However, I know that's me. He can have people over the next eight months, seven months, whatever yeah. it is. Unless he has a career-ending injury in one of these two games. It's football. Well, I know, you know, on that, and I agree with you on that, that that can happen in any game. I, what's happening here is I, the, the selfish part of me is fighting with the part that I know is right, you know, the part that knows is the right thing to do. And, Rick, you are, I, I, you are advocating for the right thing to do. Thanks a lot for the call. And I, I, can't, I can't disagree with that, but I can be selfish and say don't do it. <laughs> I guess that means I'm disagreeing with it, huh? 
And I am, as I said, I am going to be at Lambeau Field. But full disclosure, as a guest of the in-laws, not a paid customer, paying customer. So, boy, I just, I think part of the reason, well, look, Ted Thompson made some mistakes, especially in the last couple of years. But I think part of the reason that they need to reload, if not rebuild, is because winning, winning, winning means high draft choice or low draft choice. You know what I mean? Late in the round, not early first round picks. And I think that's caught up with them. So I... This, you know, the selfish part of me thinks 5, 10, and 1, and I've seen it before. If you're old enough, you've seen it before. But I think you're still in a situation with a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I know he's looked just out of sorts, but I still think he's Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's lost his stuff. I don't believe that. But he hasn't looked like Aaron Rodgers for most of this season. He has statistically one of the most deceptive seasons you will ever see so all right bader what 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 should they do ah they should play him because i actually am thinking of people i look i'm blessed i'm able to get to lambo fairly often for a game and i am blessed a lot of people it's a one in a lifetime thing you've got people who bought tickets for that lions game a long time ago. And it may be their only Packers game. People coming in, you have Packer fans from all over the country. And I just, I think you do have to think of the customer. I think, yeah, I don't want it. I really think it's in the better interest, long-term interest of the team not to play him. But I think, again, if he's healthy, though, and I, and I do have my questions about that. If he's even a little bit on that groin, then I don't think they should. This next topic is really a difficult one. I mean, it's really an emotional one. A family is burying an 18-year-old son who took his own life. And they say the priest lectured hundreds of mourners that suicide is wrong, repeatedly referencing suicide, and that he took his own life. And, it, and the parents are devastated. They say that it was completely insensitive, just wrong of the priest, and they don't think he should be a priest anymore as a result of this. This is a really, uh, I know how I feel, and I have a very specific answer to this, but I want to see what you think about that after the news. Reminds me, I still have to see the movie. 235, News Radio WTMJ. All right. This is a tough story. This is a really difficult story. This is from CNN over the weekend. I want to read a fair chunk of this, not the whole thing, but I think you do need a lot of the story for context, and then we'll take your calls at 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Grieving the most tragic loss two parents could endure, Jeff and Linda Hullabarger expected comfort from a priest's homily at their son Mason's funeral. Instead, 
The priest lectured hundreds of mourners. This is in Michigan, by the way. Hundreds of mourners that suicide is wrong and repeatedly referenced the 18-year-old taking his own life. I looked in Jeff and thought, what is he doing? Linda Hullaberger said Sunday. We have five other kids. Nobody could believe it, Jeff Hullaberger said. I looked at the parish, and everyone had the same look on their faces. Mason Hullaberger played for Bedford High School football team in Temperance, Michigan. As the priest's words ripped open the Michigan family's wounds, Jeff tried to intervene. Listen to this. After the first few times he said that word, suicide, I approached the pulpit and told him, I whispered in his ear, Father, please stop. It didn't work. He didn't miss a beat. He kept going, Jeff said. He said that word another handful of times. It made the worst day of our lives more worse. The Hullabergers barely had time to process their son's December 4th death when they met with the Reverend Don LaQuesta to discuss what they wanted in the homily to be delivered at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Church in Temperance, Michigan. We wanted it to be about family. We wanted him to talk about loving one another, lifting one another up, and being kind to one another. That's what he would have wanted the homily to be about, Linda said. He was a straight-A student, freshman at University of Toledo. But once the priest started speaking at the December 8th funeral, not one word out of his mouth was about what we asked and what we talked about, Jeff said. It was unprofessional and unacceptable. LaQuesta had not responded to CNN's request for comments on day, but the Archdiocese of Detroit apologized to the family. We understand that an un- unbearable situation was made even more difficult, and we are sorry, the Archdiocese said in a statement. It said the priest will not be preaching at funerals for the foreseeable future, and we will have all other homilies reviewed by a priest's mentor, so this priest cannot write his own homilies without being reviewed for the foreseeable future. In addition, he has agreed to pursue the assistance he needs in order to become a more effective minister in these difficult situations, the Archdiocese said. The assistance will involve getting help from professionals on human, spiritual, and pastoral levels to probe how and why he failed to effectively address the grief of the family in crisis. According to a copy of the homily, LaQuesta said, God can forgive even taking one's own life, the taking of one's own life. In fact, God awaits us with his mercy, with ever open arms. Yes, because of his mercy, God can forgive suicide and heal what has been broken. But he also said, we must not call what is bad good, what is wrong right, because we are Christians. We must say what we know is the truth, that taking your own life is against God who made us, and against everyone who loves us. Our lives are not our own. They are not ours to do with as we please. God gave us life, and we are to be good stewards of that gift as long as God permits. Then he spoke of the consequences of suicide. The finality of suicide makes this all the worse, LaQuesta said. Now you'll have to work through this pain by yourselves or with those close to you now who will need to lean on you even as you lean on them. His mother, Mason's mother, said she had no idea the priest would deliver a homily so drastically different from what they had discussed. He basically called our son a sinner in front of everyone, Linda said. We had no idea that he was going to do this. We have, life, we have been lifelong members of the church. The Archdiocese of Lequesta was trying to offer a message of confidence in salvation. We acknowledge, however, 
that the family wanted a homily based on how their loved one lived, not one addressing how he passed away. We also know the family was hurt by father's choice to share church teaching on suicide when the emphasis would have been placed more, should have been placed more, on God's closeness to those who mourn. So I mentioned the remedial action the Archdiocese plans on taking. It's not enough for the Hullaburgers. They don't believe Lequesta should be a priest anymore. We're supposed to have a meeting with the Archbishop, Jeff Hullaburger said. We're trying to set that up. It may be difficult, but I think it's something my wife and I have to do. We just don't feel the consequences are where they need to be right now. We asked him, the Archbishop, to remove the priest from the priesthood. We're wondering how they think that sending him to the classroom, how that's going to teach him empathy and to have some discretion. How do you teach somebody that? They also want to make sure the funeral doesn't overshadow the joy that Mason brought to his loved ones. So they are not accepting the remedial action the Archdiocese is planning for Father LaQuesta. They think he should be removed from the priesthood. Do you agree based on the facts as I have shared them with you? 414-799-1620. 241 News Radio WTMJ. Two forty three News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. A temperance Michigan priest basically ignored the parents' wishes in the homily. When it came to their eighteen year old son's funeral, he took his own life. He basically preached on why suicide is a sin. The Archdiocese of Detroit, which apparently uh, temperance is in, so look, we're going to have remedial for him. Uh, make him understand why this wasn't right, and for the foreseeable future, he'll have all other homilies reviewed by a priest mentor. It's not up for the family; they want him removed from the priesthood. Do you agree or disagree with their wishes? And explain your answer. We go first to Ellen in Oshkosh. Ellen, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you doing today? Good. Great. Um, I, To be honest, I think the man should be totally defrocked. I don't think he's got the temperament to uh, be a priest. Uh, I don't think he sees every... He doesn't see the gray areas, and I don't think he understands a firm grip on what a mental illness can do to a person. So I don't think he should be a priest at all. Now, there's a question I I would like to ask. You don't have to answer it. Ellen, are you a person of faith? Yes, I'm Catholic. Okay, you're Catholic. Okay, that is kind of where I was going. So you're Catholic. Do Do you believe in forgiveness and redemption and second chances? Totally. That is what confession is for. I mean, that, that you know, this whole thing about Christianity is, in my opinion, is about redemption, forgiveness. You know, the, the boy was grieving or hurting so bad that to him, the only t- way out was to kill himself. Now, you know, maybe, you know, in the priest's mind, there, you know, he just did not see that part of the whole thing, you know, and he just didn't get it. He's got a chip missing on empathy. And, you know, what the parents and the rest of the family members are going through, and all he saw was the black and white. And that's it. There is no other thing he saw. And for him to not even hear the father, you know, the, the son, or excuse me, the dad, tell him, please stop, it's hurting too much. He just did not listen. 
and he uh, just wanted to get that message across. That was that's where I draw the line. When you don't listen and you don't see the gray areas, you don't deserve to be a priest. Alan, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Let me be clear on this. I don't agree with what he did. I have a deep-seated belief on why he did what he did, which I will share in a moment. And this is going to sound weird, but it comes from personal experience. I obviously am not a priest. I have been called to ministry. That's my next season in life. And I do get the, I am blessed to preach once a month at our church. I'm giving my first Christmas message Sunday. I'm very excited about that. So, from someone who's been at the pulpit, I believe I know what he did wrong, even though I'm not a Catholic priest. And I will get to that in just a bit. But I absolutely think this was wrong. To Katie in Burlington. Katie, go ahead. Hi. I I believe the church is handling this correctly in that they need to review. uh, If this guy especially has a history of going rogue, which means, you know, this was the family's wishes. And although they all have some kind of gray area to, to provide their own insight, which I think he was trying to do, I don't think he did it appropriately. It should have been safe for the following Sunday or maybe the, the family in private, understanding what has to be one of the most painful things to, um, to go through. However, people need to understand, he, he, you don't see this. The church feels that taking of a life is wrong, and that includes suicide. And that is not something that goes way up, well, we're just going to ignore the fact because we don't want to you know, ruffle any feathers. Inappropriate time should have abided the family's wishes. That's that's part of the role of being a, a priest and leader. I don't think he should be defrocked for it. Katie, thanks a lot for the call. To um, Michelle in Grafton. Michelle, go ahead. Well, Jerry, this is probably the least offensive thing that a Catholic priest has done of late. And um, I think this would be more appropriate to do what they've done with the other priests who probably should have been taken out of the priesthood. But I think they could take him out, put him in some counseling, and then move them to a different um, diocese. Well, but, okay, uh, but now, the the problems you're talking about with the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church has been been heavily criticized for moving problems around. If he really is a problem, and I have not made that judgment, if he really is a problem priest, should they just move him around? This isn't uh, a priest that has not, it's not a felon. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, it's it is apples and oranges. I, I yeah, I, I do agree with that. Yeah, this is not Michelle. a challenge. This is a man who has just not been empathetic, and is not good at what he should be good at. Thanks a lot for the call. I don't know that we know that factually. I do know this: a caller said something. What he was trying to do. What he was trying to do. I'm going to get to that in just a few minutes. Uh, we can still take calls on this. 414-799-1620-249. News Radio WTMJ. He's with you every Sunday. Scanling makes it over the shoulder. Catch, touchdown! Literally in his shirt. Get his take on what happened on the field. How important do you believe it was to have gotten this done? It's nice that they did, and I think he feels better about it as well. Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee on Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John McCure. This afternoon at 320. And a dagger into the Detroit Lions. Sponsored by Bobcat Plus. We're the home of the Green Bay Packers since 1929. WTMJ. You probably don't have to replace those windows. 
If the frames are intact and it's just the glass that's cracked, or it's foggy, replacing thermal window panes with the help of Less's Glass will save you the cost of total window replacement. When you want to know how much we can save you, all you have to do is measure the height and width of just the glass portion of the window panes. Then send us an email to info at lessglassservice.com and we'll get you an estimate right away. Just be sure to specify if you'd like us to come out and replace your window pane on site, or if you'd like to do it in the most cost-effective way possible by bringing the windows into our shop. Either way, you're saving a lot of money versus a total window replacement that you probably don't need. This is Stacy Sinks with Les's Glass Service. If it's a new glass shower door, fogged or broken insulated glass replacement, or affordable glass and mirror home decor that you've been looking for, you just can't pass on Les's Glass. Les's Glass Service, serving all of southeastern Wisconsin. Find us at lessglassservice.com. Since 1992, Capri Senior Communities has assisted thousands of seniors and their families with the planning needed to make the right move into a senior living community. Capri is devoted to providing for and supporting the independent lifestyle of older adults. Capri is proud of its 15 locations throughout southeastern Wisconsin. Every campus is designed to not just accommodate seniors, but to provide for all their needs so they can thrive and enjoy this incredible stage of life. Wellness programs, state-of-the-art care, restaurant-style dining, fitness, recreation, community, friends, and activities. All of these are at the heart of everything we do. To learn more about our services or to explore our different communities and find the best home for you or your loved one, please visit CapriCommunities.com. That's CapriCommunities.com. Or call us at 262-798-1224. Please call. Join the conversation. 262-798-1224. Capri Senior Communities. It's not just my apartment. It's my home. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. Fifty-two News Radio WTMJ. I need to leave time to weigh in on what I think about this. A couple of more calls. A priest in Michigan d- just ignored the family's wishes. An eighteen-year-old suicide victim, and just preached on what a sin suicide is. Family want him wants him removed from the priesthood. Rose, uh, actually, no, Tyler, Tyler in Oconomowoc. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Good. I uh, I firmly agree with what the archdiocese has done. Uh, he shouldn't be allowed to to do funerals, and if he does do funerals, uh, the suicide death should be the number one that he should be uh, uh, turned away from. Uh, being that my father had committed suicide, not once during the funeral did they ever say anything about how he did it. They always referred to that he was lost, and they were also. Uh-huh. They had also said that he would be seen in heaven by God, and never once did they go with the old school religion on about how you know he was going to go to hell or anything like that. I I firmly believe that he should not be allowed to do it anymore. Tyler, thanks a lot for the call. To Rose in Waukesha. Rose, go ahead. Hello. I, think, yeah, um, I don't think that he should be taken out of the priesthood. But I do agree he should not be able to do funerals. Now, you were speaking with a lady that said to take him out of the priesthood totally. And then mm-hmm. you asked her a question. Do you believe in forgiveness and second chances? And she said, oh, yeah, definitely. Well, okay, 
if you believe in that, why won't this guy be given a second chance to be, be a priest? I mean, he doesn't have to do funerals anymore, but he can still be a priest, uh, and he might be a great priest, you know, but he screwed up royally with this family, absolutely. But to take him out of the priesthood, I think that's wrong, and I think that lady should think twice before she says she believes in forgiveness and then turns around and says, out him, you know. Rose, thanks a lot for the call. Thanks a lot. Uh, quickly to Kathy in Brookfield. Kathy, go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I agree with the past couple of callers. I think the Archdiocese has made the right call. I also think we really don't have enough information about this priest's yeah. history or his work to date to just declare he should be, you know, tossed out. Hopefully the Archdiocese has taken a good look at all of that and they see something in him that merits, you know, redemption, that merits um, a chance to go forward and his vocation. But with all that said, your heart just has to go out to this family. Yeah. And Kathy, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for the call. I I, got to let you run there because I've got exactly two minutes to say what I want to say about this. We are judging this priest by what may be the worst moment of his life. We don't know anything about him as a priest. A caller said she knew what he was trying to do. As someone who is blessed to preach, not in a Catholic church, I... I pray to the Holy Spirit. I am a conduit. It doesn't come from me. The Holy Spirit guides my words. When that's not the case, that's when I get in trouble. That's when I potentially get in trouble or make bad judgment calls because it's my judgment. Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, good friend, and he does a a Sunday feature at HotAir.com called Sunday Reflections. And every once in a while, I'll send him a note, boy, Ed, that was great. He goes, hey, when I succeed, that means I got out of the way of the Spirit. I would submit that this priest, when they're talking about the different training, ask him, was that from the Spirit or was that from you? Did the Holy Spirit tell you to be that insensitive to those parents and that the most important thing you had to do was lecture on what a terrible thing it is to kill yourself. That's not to say he couldn't bring it up. But the way in which he did it, and the way that he just absolutely flaunted the wishes of the family, did the Holy Spirit tell you to treat them that way? Or is that you talking? I know that's what my mentor in pastoring would tell me. That would be my advice for that priest. I, however... Um, I, we don't know enough to say that he should be removed from the priesthood. I do, however. I absolutely understand the emotionalism that is uh, that right now the parents are still... I, I, I don't understand it. I can only wonder, and I'm blessed that I've never had to fully understand it.